You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I am Lucio Reek, being joined by the publisher of the Barkboard, Mr. Jackson Moore. And Jackson, did you survive that trip going down to the Coliseum? <laughs> I sure did. You know, it was a um, a long trip after the loss. Uh, you know, I mean, we're just there to cover it and everything, but it's always better to have a win <laughs> as far as uh, reporting goes and the the reaction to your reports is usually a little more favorable when it's a, a win and the fans are happy but um, you know it was a it was a fun game very neat venue first time covering in the Coliseum and uh, managed to get in and out of LA without too much traffic so can't complain too much yeah for for being a, a holiday weekend it you know it was it was relatively a smooth trip uh to to head down to the to the Coliseum and you know, we we had a we had a nice little turnout for our tailgate party that we had there. For those that were able to kind of stop by and and see us, uh, it was a quite a little spread that we had going there, right? Yeah, I mean, props to everyone for putting that together. Um, uh, I mean, that was impressive, Dirk and Carrie and everybody. That was awesome. The beautiful scenery. I mean, had the nicest comma spot I think on all of USC's campus. Uh, fresh lime trees sitting right there, uh, squirt on the meat and all that. <laughs> they had uh, uh, tri-tip and chicken and everything. So yeah, that was awesome and very glad to see some fans out there. Shout out to Michael, one of the guys that introduced himself to us and got to see, meet and greet some people. So uh, cool experience all around. Yeah, it was definitely uh, for someone like me who's never been over to the Coliseum. It was quite a, quite a different uh, experience to take in. You know the history of the of the whole stadium and uh, and everything about USC. Uh, but you know, you know, taking in all that those sites and then watching this game unfold, you kind of you kind of had to leave a little bit a little bit of a bad taste in the back of your throat when. Uh, when this game kind of got started, the the Bulldogs just really looked flat uh, on defense and weren't able to kind of kind of do anything to stop USC on those first couple of drives, right, Jackson? Yeah, you know, I believe JT Daniels started 15 of 16. He was just picking whatever he wanted. They they weren't really beating the Bulldogs deep terribly at the beginning, but uh, they were just I mean, taking what the Bulldogs were giving them. They were playing off a bit, and they were just throwing it, dinking and dunking it down the field, and it was as efficient as as they could be, and. The part where the Bulldogs were getting hurt most was just tackling after those plays were being made. Uh, the running backs were slipping around, and the receivers as well. They've got you know three big-time receivers in that group for USC, and uh, a bunch of the times the Bulldogs were going to wrap up, they would get juked out or whiffed on it. So, uh, I mean, that was a rough way to see it open. Uh, you could tell once the game settled down, even before the quarterback injury for USC, uh, the Bulldog defense had a much better grasp on what was going on, but... You know, that's kind of what happens when you're a team like Fresno State. You practice all fall, and you're not used to some of the speed and athleticism at those receiver positions. And then you see it right off the bat. It's hard to adjust. You're not tackling a whole lot in practice. So um, that's one of the struggles when you're in the situation as the Bulldogs were. But as the game went on, you started to feel like Fresno State was just as good, if not better, at some points. But too deep of a hole to start off with. Another hole dug in the second half, and... um, 
it's too much to overcome for the dogs. It, it just seems like uh, it seemed like the, as the game was starting to progress, right before halftime, even before, like you said, before the you know, quarterback injury, uh, it just felt like the momentum had started to kind of shift, and and the Bulldogs were getting comfortable, um, and they were starting to kind of find their little little, little groove uh, to get things moving uh, along. One of those was the emergence of of Jalen Cropper on those end arounds. And, uh, you know, me personally, I would, I was hoping to see more of Cropper because it seemed <laughs> like every time he touched the ball, he was getting 10 yards, whether it be on a, a run or whatever it was, you know, it was working. Why not stick with it? Right, Jackson? Yeah. I mean, that was awesome to see him very first play of the entire season for the offense to go to him as a true freshman and, you know, the whole backstory behind him being a local guy, that was just too cool to see him get the first snap. And, you know, that end around's a play that you don't see a team run a ton in a game, but they ran it five times. Four of them went to Cropper. They, as you said, about 10 yards per carry. And then they set up beautifully uh, the handoff to Cam Sutton, the tight end, who you don't expect to get the ball in a reverse. All I mean, the trick to USC beautifully went for almost 30 yards. So, I mean, they made the most out of those five plays. You wonder maybe they could have sprinkled in a few more of those. But, um, you know, the offense was in the first half struggling a little bit. They had turnovers, but just to get the ball down the field and get points on the board, uh, they seemed to stall a little bit towards the red zone. I mean, the first touchdown, the only touchdown for the Bulldogs in the first half was the big throw to Darion Grimm. And, um, you know, if you don't convert that, you go into halftime with three or six points. So um, the offense definitely had moments, but they had trouble stringing together the entire drive, plus capping on the touchdowns until about the very end of the game. Yeah, it was it seemed like uh, things things were were starting to kind of go their way at at the very end. um, You know, that last play of the game, um, it's. I was standing in that end zone, and for me, I was watching, and I saw the safety start running across, and <laughs> I wanted to just yell out, don't throw the ball, because <laughs> I saw that interception coming a mile away, but it ended up happening, right, Jackson? Yeah, I was probably at a pretty similar angle than you, as you were then, uh, because definitely I saw that play developing, and I saw Ronnie Rivers all about five eight of them or whatever it is and saw him streaking to the end zone and I saw that safety starting to creep over and it just looked like a recipe for disaster and I was you know it was a, a deflating play to watch unfold and watching it on the tape I see what the coaches and Jorge Reina what they were all saying the way that play was designed they really set everything up the way they wanted to they had the defense on that side of the ball they all kind of bit into a fake quick pass screen that they had set up with Sutton and then Rivers was basically he was left alone towards the end zone but uh, Reyna didn't get an eye on that safety that was starting to creep over and I mean it was a a good play by him but um, if he wasn't there that would have been a a very easy touchdown and I think that's what Reyna thought was going to happen and it looks like that's what Rivers thought was going to happen you see him react to the play you know he's not going for a jump ball battle he's thinking the ball's about to fall right into his hands and all of a sudden here comes a trojan defender so um from our angle it definitely looked ugly i think from reina's vantage point and even on the tv broadcast it it looked more like what we saw last year at minnesota where that defensive back just made a heck of a play and um it's hard to fault anyone except for just not quite executing where they needed to be 
Yeah, we we got the unique angle of seeing that that all unfold, and it was. I mean, you could see it coming a mile away. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, no, here here comes the interception. <laughs> I mean, you could clearly see that safety moving over and, and creeping over. And I just, for me, I just wasn't sure why uh, Reyna didn't see it. But, but again, he was locked in on his player and didn't see uh, that safety coming in from the side there. Um, but... That's besides the point because you know that was that was pretty much the dagger in Fresno State's comeback. Um, had they have gotten that, you know, you you were guaranteed it going them going for two points yeah. to tie up the game. Um, could this been a little different had it gone into overtime, Jackson? I think so. I felt like about the last forty minutes, Fresno State was the better team. I mean. I even posted that on the boards um, after the kick return. I said, I got a feeling the Bulldogs are going to be the superior team for a good 30, 40 minutes of this game and come out with a loss. And um, it was the big plays that had the advantage for USC. The kick return was brutal. And then really from, uh, I mean, the last three quarters of play, probably maybe more than that, the only offensive touchdown they scored was a pass where their backup quarterback just threw a, a deep ball and it worked out for a touchdown. They've got the receivers that can make that happen. But um, otherwise, you take out those two plays and Fresno State definitely had the advantage. Um, what I, where I saw it start to turn was in the third quarter. The Bulldogs got into USC field, uh, their side of the field, several times and they only came up with three points, I think, on three attempts into USC territory. And it wasn't so much that. It was just that when the Bulldogs had the ball, they were taking quite a bit of time off the clock. Uh, I mean, they were really taking their time, and they weren't really getting the big chunk plays or the deep passes or anything like that. They were moving the ball methodically, which isn't bad, but when you're behind and you don't come up with points, that starts to bite you in the rear end a little bit. And I really didn't think the Bulldogs were even going to have the chance to have enough time to set up the kind of play that they had where they could have potentially tied it at the end. So that was impressive what the Bulldogs were able to do to string some points together in the fourth quarter. But, man, if they could have avoided that kick return, I think the game would have been, you know, if the Bulldogs just find the end zone, they take the lead after that field goal to make it 17-13. If they could have carried that momentum, gotten the end zone, and taken the lead, I think the Bulldogs would have ran away with the victory. But... The momentum totally flipped on that kick return, and it uh, just got a little bit too far out of reach for the Bulldogs to make up. Now, another one of the plays that also kind of switched a little bit of the of the momentum was the the fumble, or I believe it was a, it, there was a turnover um, as the Bulldogs were heading into USC territory, um, and that that was a little it was an odd play because it was one that I, I told you about as well. Uh, myself and several other um, news reporters that were sitting on the sideline there heard a whistle coming from the crowd. And you can only wonder if some of the Bulldogs also heard that same whistle uh, because it looked like some of the players did stop on the play. Um, I don't know if you saw that, Jackson, or did you hear it, or, or what's your take on that? You know, I didn't notice it, and then you told me, and um, so one of the first things I did when I got home was I got the replay up, and I went right to that play, and I kept my ear open for it, and I heard it. It sounded like three distinct whistle noises before that snap, and I posted it on the premium board and as part of our um, our insider game report, get a bunch of those kinds of behind-the-scenes reports that we put in there, and 
a lot of people I was surprised commented, yeah, I heard that too. I'm surprised no one made a bigger deal out of that. I mean, several people uh, chimed in on that. Um, but So then I, going forward, I was trying to see how that might have affected the play. Um, I think it comes down to three guys. It's Jorge Reina trying to hand the ball off to Josh Hokett, and there's a USC defender that comes in. And I think Reina just got fooled a little bit, and there was a, a mishandle of the play. You know, I, I, I was expecting to see something that I could point to that whistle being the issue, but that USC defender, I mean, typically you either sell out on a read option to the running back or the quarterback, and I don't know how he did it, but it looked like he was pursuing the running back, and right when Reyna realized that at the last second, he tried to pull the ball. That defender was able to adjust and get to Reyna at the same time, and uh, Reyna, I think, just had too much trouble trying to read that one defender. The ball got caught up to Hokit, and uh, it didn't matter who got the ball there. It was going to be a, an ugly play, and but it would have been better than a fumble, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, and, but the the question is is whether the guy that was supposed to be blocking that uh, that particular defender did he stop on the play? Did you did you actually get a chance to see if that? Occurred? Yeah, that'd be the last question. That's that's I'm not a hundred percent sure on. Um, typically, the defender is and the read option is typically in that spot because you. It's that one guy, the quarterback either reads, do I hand the ball off if he's biting inside or do I take it myself? So, I mean, even if there was an issue, there's typically a guy there that's sometimes even left there intentionally for the quarterback to figure out uh, which route, whether it's the keeper or a handoff that's going to be better for the offense. Yeah, so, that, you know, that's a lot of what-ifs there on that play. I mean, because it was clear there was a whistle, whether or not some of the players did, you know, half-heartedly continue on with the play or if they that didn't bother them we will never know but it was something that a lot of us sat there and kind of looked at each other and it's like what's going on here I thought the play was over I actually put my camera down because I thought the play was over I heard the whistle and then all of a sudden the play keeps going so that's one of those that is kind of kind of a what ifs kind of a a, a story that uh, we'll never know the true outcome of that play whether or not it would have been a different outcome. But other items, um, our kicking game for Fresno State uh, sure looks like it's had a, a major improvement as far as field goals are concerned. The <laughs> kick coverage, on the other hand, that's a different story. Well, what's your what's your take on that one, Jackson? Yeah, the kickoffs were ugly. Um, even before USC returned that kick, it seemed like every time the Bulldogs kicked the ball off, it was a... A nervous deal from the very first one where the Trojans brought it all the way back into Bulldog territory and they had two guys both wearing number seven on the field so it got taken back <laughs> from the the penalty re- redacted that play so that was um, a concern um, I mean the Bulldogs couldn't seem to find an answer whether it was the coverage or the kicking um, coach Tedford said Asa Fuller was doing what they were asking for him, him as the, the kicker um, and then uh, the Bulldogs did bring in Cesar Silva to try to kick off one time, and he didn't quite get a good boot on it. He kicked it out of bounds, which was, I think might have been even the better option to just kick it out of bounds at that point. But um, 
one. Yeah, uh, Coach Tedford said it was. You know, he didn't really blame anyone in particular, but he said it's up to the coaches to put the players in the right position. So they have to figure out whether it was a personnel issue or if it's a teaching issue on the scheme. Um, I went back and just went to see which athletes were on that kickoff team, and you're looking at a lot of the starting defenders. So I don't think it was a case where the Bulldogs were trying to keep players healthy and using backups or anything like that. Um, it was just a total misfire, whatever they plan to go with. You could definitely see that things were going to be a, a little bit different um, as soon as they kicked off the ball. And, uh, you know, they had that long return on that first kickoff, and, and but it got called back. You, you kind of got a glimpse of what was to come throughout this game because every time they got that ball on a kick return, it seemed like he was getting ready to break one, and he did. So it was it was it was something that you could see coming a mile away. I don't know if it was the coverage, what it was, but for whatever reason, USC was bound to break one uh, in that game, and you could just sense it coming. And sure enough, it did, and it came at just the right time for USC to kind of hold off the Bulldogs, right, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, when their starting quarterback went down, I thought for sure Fresno State was in a, a position to take away the victory. Um, I thought all the Bulldogs needed to do to get that win was to put USC's offense in a situation where they needed to make the plays to win the game, make USC's offense make those plays. And they were never in that situation thanks to that kick return. It gave them an 11-point lead, and they were not under pressure when they went out there and connected on about the one good play they had in the second half that was a long touchdown pass. Um, you know, It felt like... All Fresno State needed to do was put some pressure on them to convert on offense, and they were just never able to get over that hump, and that kick return was the big momentum changer. I think if USC does not come away with that kick return, uh, the Bulldogs eventually take probably a 2017 lead at some point, and I really like their chances in that case, but... Um, yeah, the, it flipped on them real fast, and the Bulldogs really had to recover late and just too much for them to overcome at the end. Yeah, and uh, it was it was just at, at one point they just uh, kind of ran out of gas there at the end. Uh, it was fun to watch. It was a great game uh, to be at at USC. Bulldogs uh, clearly, it, it, there, there does not seem like there was that much of a gap as far as talent-wise was concerned uh, between Fresno State and USC. Yes, USC has the faster players, but talent-wise... It looked like they were pretty evenly matched during this game. Yeah, I think there's a handful of Trojans that are that kind of elite, next level, probably headed to the NFL kind of guys. But when it came to the average players on both teams, I think it was fairly even. I think the Bulldogs are pretty well coached. It was just defensively they came out slow. That's a kind of a tough ask to match that speed and, and tackling right off the bat. Um you know, no excuses. It took the Bulldogs three possessions to really get that figured out, and that's way too much. But uh, you could definitely see the talent gap in those first few drives, and that's where it felt like the Bulldogs were just going to get totally stomped on. Uh, but they got it figured out, and from the rest of the game on, it looked like Fresno State was just as good, if not better, for a lot of the game. Um, I felt offensively, Reyna was under a lot of pressure, and that led to I think some of the misfires I mean he took a lot of hits he ran the ball 20 times got sacked a couple times and um, I think that ultimately he had a little bit of happy feet wasn't able to execute his passing abilities the way I think we'll see in the coming weeks but 
I mean, yeah, I think Fresno State definitely held their own. I think if they played uh, right now, particularly with JT Daniels going out for the season, I think the Bulldogs would win that game. I think the Trojans are probably not going to win a whole lot now going forward. But, um, I mean, when you're USC, you have that kind of money and the all the things you can do to attract players in there. When you get a handful of those next-level guys, it can make up for a lot of things. And I think that's what we saw. We saw... Uh, the big touchdown plays through the passing game, and we saw the kick return game. I mean, those are plays that other Mountain West schools are not going to be able to make on the Bulldogs. So, um, you know, that's kind of what we saw at Fresno State. We have a Derek Carr and a Devontae Adams. It makes up for a, a atrocious defense for most of the year until that one game against San Jose State. So um, a few guys can go a long way, and I think that's what happened. Yeah, it, it's going to be – uh, it's going to be interesting to watch to see how the Bulldogs bounce back. Now, this week, they're going to come back home, uh, be at more of a friendly conf- confined, even though, uh, you know, USC wasn't all that bad for the Bulldogs. It, was, it wasn't really a noisy venue, to tell you the truth, Jackson. It, you know, for for being a stadium as big as it is, I thought the noise was going to be a whole lot more, and it ended up not being. There was quite a bit of uh, Fresno State fans there. Yeah, um, pretty much the only times you felt it were the the early the t- couple early touchdowns for USC and the kick return, and you could hear the USC crowd get into it. But I mean, the attendance was in the ballpark of fifty five thousand. I'd say Fresno State probably had a good ten or so there. I mean, the red wave showed out. It was a little hard to see from the field just because of their bright lights. <laughs> I mean, if you, it would be hard to find a, a group of fans wearing neon yellow the way from our perspective was but when the Bulldogs made a big play you could definitely hear the crowd and see those fans stand up saw a bunch of big old white inflatable dog bones being bounced around in the stands like beach balls so that was a pretty cool environment but you think about it that means USC only had 40 plus thousand fans in the crowd I mean not much more than you hear at Bulldog Stadium and the Bulldog Stadium is a lot more constricted your fans are right on top of the action and it's built to make sound uh, so yeah not the the craziest atmosphere Fresno State's seen by any stretch um, part of that is just the way USC comes off of a 5-1 season last year fans aren't terribly excited about their team this season not terribly excited about Fresno State probably either to be honest and uh, they were pretty anxious to get out of there. Once they took that 31-13 lead, a lot of their fans headed for the exits, and uh, they would have been definitely surprised if they, uh, if the Bulldogs had pulled that one off there at the end. Oh yeah, it was it was it was tr- starting to set it up for one of those where uh, the fans may have left a little too early uh, for that game, but it ended up working in their favor. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned USC five games last season. Do you think they even reach five games this year? They've got a really tough schedule. I mean, BYU is probably the next easiest game. And, I mean, they're no slouch by any means. Um, the Pac-12, they play nine conference games, and there's maybe one, two tops teams that are not great, not potentially bowl teams. So, uh, I mean, it's a rough situation for the Trojans. I mean, to lose JT Daniels for the year, their backup Jack Sears entered the transfer portal after he lost the starting job, so it's unclear if he can come back or what that situation's going to be. So, I mean, they're on their third quarterback. I think if Daniels is healthy, the way that they came out was pretty impressive against the Bulldogs, but the way they finished that game was pretty ugly, and that's probably the team that they're going to be relying on uh, executing the rest of the way out. So I don't think that USC team's going to win much. 
Yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those like you know would have should have could have. Um, Bulldogs had a golden opportunity to try and make a game of it at the end, uh, came up just short, uh, and now they'll be coming back here to Bulldog Stadium as they will have to uh, take on Minnesota Golden Gophers, um, who barely came out with a win against Fresno State at their venue last season. Do you think that this uh, could be a good matchup here at Bulldog Stadium where the Dogs may, uh, well, I believe they are the favorites in this game by at least three points, right, Jackson? Yeah, Minnesota's coming in as a three-point favorite. Um, that line seems to be shrinking as the week goes on. It started out a little bit higher. Um, but, you know, the Bulldogs, it's a, it's an interesting matchup because Minnesota's about an exact opposite team as USC was. USC wanted to spread it out, use their athletes on the outside and in the passing game on offense. Uh, Minnesota is your typical Big Ten team. They're just going to come in. They've got 300-pound linemen across the board. They've got a 400-pounder at tackle, and they're just going to try to power run the ball. And uh, that's basically what the Bulldogs saw last year against them. Uh, the Golden Gophers, they did not dominate the line of scrimmage. They did not dominate with their running game against the Bulldogs last year, but they did pick up three, four, five yards at a time. They ran the clock out. They moved the ball just enough to get three scores on the board. Well, they kicked a few field goals, but they ended up uh, uh, with what it looked like three touchdowns by the end of the game. But um, that's pretty much what they're going to do coming in here. They're just going to try to push the Bulldogs around at the line of scrimmage, both on offense and defense, I would say. And um, Typically, a Big Ten team can do that against a Mountain West team. I think the Bulldogs are well-equipped at defensive tackle. Uh, they have some great athletes at linebacker and in the secondary. Uh, defensive end is still one position we're not quite sold on yet. But as long as the Bulldogs can contain the run, they've got a really good shot to win this game. If uh, Minnesota can run it right down Fresno State's neck, it could be a, a tough one. Yeah, that's going to be the key is uh, whether or not this uh, Fresno State uh, defense is going to be able to uh, come come out and and really slow down um, Minnesota's run running game. Which you know, let's face it, they're going to be some of the biggest running backs they're probably going to face all season <laughs> um, coming from Minnesota. So uh, it it's it'll be. It'll be an interesting one to see how the Bulldogs adjust from a speedy team like USC to more of a smash-mouth football team like Minnesota. Um, how is how is this defense going to match up against that type of an offense? Yeah, you know, last year when they went into that matchup, the defensive line was the big question mark. And at least at the tackle position, the Bulldogs feel really good about where they are 12 months later. That group really came together over the course of the season. And now you've got four veteran upperclassmen back, all with pretty good size. I mean, this is kind of the matchup that they're built for. Uh, at the same time, Minnesota was down both their top two running backs last year. Um, and even with the third and fourth stringers in there, they had pretty good success against the Bulldogs, so that is a concern. Uh, the Bulldogs were prepping for Rodney Smith. He's one of Minnesota's best running backs in school history, uh, numbers-wise at least. And when uh, he came out against the Bulldogs last year, he went down with a season-ending injury on his very first carry. So that changed that game dramatically. Now he's good to go, and so that's going to be a, a tough one for the Dogs. Uh, Minnesota also gets Mohamed Ibrahim back. Uh, he played a lot last season, but not when the Bulldogs came to town. So 
it's going to be interesting how they match up with those two guys. Minnesota also has a different quarterback than Fresno State saw last year, which um, you know happens, but and not typically when the quarterback last year was a freshman. Uh, Zach Anikstad pretty much got replaced by Tanner Morgan throughout the season after he played against the Bulldogs and played very well against Fresno State. And then in fall camp, he went down with an injury. So the Bulldogs will have a different quarterback to face against with Tanner Morgan. Uh, he's a guy that probably is not as great of a passer, but is a little more mobile. And so you can expect uh, Minnesota to definitely go to the run, both with the running back and the quarterback a little bit. And at, at wide receiver, Minnesota has some pretty impressive athletes. And as the Bulldogs saw last year, uh, they're not going to throw to them a ton, but when they get called on, they can make some impressive plays. So uh, that's what you worry about on third and long, that they can convert some of those plays that other teams usually wouldn't. So it's it's going to be one of those where uh, you either sell out to stop the run or you kind of play it middle road just in case they try <laughs> to pass. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the Bulldogs kind of kind of uh, adjust here um you know of course they're going to probably be geared a little bit more towards stopping the run first uh and making them try to beat you with the pass um do do the bulldogs have enough in the defensive backfield to to kind of play you know put that kind of a system into play yeah the one question mark is still chris gaston now the USC Trojans threw at him a lot last game, and it was a, a tough start for him, but he seemed to settle in a little bit, um, got his feet underneath him, and played out the remainder of the game pretty well. It was actually Jaron Bryant that got beat on the, the second-half touchdown that USC scored. Um, so I think you can put some faith in those two guys. I mean, Gaston's going to have another tough matchup regardless of which one of Minnesota's receivers get put on him. Uh, if the Bulldogs can secure a safety, whether it be Juju Hughes or Waylon Free, they'll have an extra body back there perhaps to avoid too many one-on-ones on an island to give up that big play. But um, if they can bring maybe Waylon Free down, who can hit pretty well, uh, that could be an extra body that the Bulldogs can rely on in the box. Yeah, so the, it's going to be uh, it's going to be the a battle of the Fresno State defense and. Uh, Minnesota's offense there for a little bit whoever whoever wins that battle is probably going to make the biggest difference but how does Fresno State's offense compared to Minnesota's defense here do you, the a little bit more room to work with than what USC was giving them yeah I mean well definitely on the defensive line that's where the Bulldogs I felt like had their biggest troubles against USC uh they Bulldogs had a bit of a trouble getting the running game going they also had trouble protecting Jorge Reina for a lot of the game. Reina was on the run a lot, sometimes by design, a lot of the times not by design, uh, being flushed out of the pocket. So that's the big concern. It looks like Minnesota does not quite have the defensive line that Fre- uh, Fresno State saw last week against USC. So hopefully if that is the case, everything else kind of trickles down from there and uh, gives the Bulldogs an advantage on offense, lets them settle in a little bit better. Um, the Minnesota does have some athletes in the secondary, as we learned last year. Antoine Whitfield Jr. made that big interception to seal the game for the Gophers, so they do have some athletes back there. Um, but at least on the defensive line, they've got some inexperience and uh, some question marks as well. So Fresno State, if they can get the running game going and get, I mean, work that in with the passing game as well, they should have a balanced attack. 
should be better off than they were last year where they went to the Minnesota stadium last season and really struggled to move the ball for the first half of the game. Finally got it going in the second half and very similarly to the USC game that we've seen uh, just a little bit too much or too little too late for the dogs. And so this is a game where I would like to see the Bulldogs jump out ahead of time so they don't put themselves in a position like that in the first place. Yeah, this is going to be it's going to be the key for the Bulldogs is getting them going uh, with the run early. Uh, they didn't really get that opportunity with the with USC um, coming out fairly quickly uh, against the Bulldogs, and uh, then the Bulldogs kind of had to kind of slow down the pace a little bit uh, as they noticed that it was going to start to turn into a kind of a shootout if they didn't uh, if they didn't kind of slow things down a little bit. But against against Minnesota, a team that's going to be a little bit more methodical going down the field, using the clock, getting the running, uh, running backs going for them, do you get the sense that maybe Fresno State is going to be looking to pass more in this game than they did against USC? Um, I might say less just because the Bulldogs did end up with 39 pass attempts last season, or I mean last week against USC. Um, if the Bulldogs can establish the running game, that changes things a lot. Um, Fresno State was playing from behind a lot against USC, so they were forced into those situations. Um, I don't expect Jorge Reyna to run the ball as much, but if they can get Ronnie Rivers going, uh, potentially Josh Hokett as well, I think you'd see a much more concerted running game where they're not relying on Reyna and the read option and going to that as well. Um, we've seen the Bulldogs do that in the past. They like to run a balanced offense, and the only concern is if the Bulldogs are moving the ball slow and Minnesota's moving the ball slow like we saw last year, uh, you're inevitably in a situation where you can come have the game down, come down to one play, and you're basically rolling the dice at that point. So could be an exciting one, but uh, Fresno State would be well off if they can get a good start on offense and get Minnesota out of their comfort zone on their side of the ball. Yeah, so it's going to be it will be one of those to see what's going to happen there as far as what direction the Bulldogs are going to go in. But I agree that they're probably going to have to establish that run early in order to to help set up at least a few more plays uh, later on in the game, uh, just so that they can uh, keep that other team honest uh, and ready to go. Um, but you know, Jackson, this this upcoming game. Make or break for the Bulldogs. I know we're only one game into the season, but can they really afford to go zero and two to start the season right now? Uh, yes and no. Uh, from a fan perspective, if you go zero and two, that's going to be rough to bounce back from and sell tickets. Uh, as we've mentioned, after this game against Minnesota, they have a bye. They host Sacramento State, which is going to be a tough sell. They go to New Mexico State, which isn't going to get you much credit from the fan base if you assumingly win that game. Then another bye before conference play. Um, so it's going to be a long stretch where there's not a lot of home games. There's not a lot of meaningful games, in a sense. And it's going to take a while to win back some of those fans. Um I think Fresno State will certainly be in fine position, even if they start out 0-2 as far as competing for a Mountain West championship. Uh, Looking in October when they start conference play, they have at Air Force, they host UNLV and Colorado State. Those should all be three very winnable games. You pair those with the two non-conference games, and even if the dogs start 0-2, they should be 5-2 going into November with a whole lot to play for. Should have a whole lot to play for going into November. 
Um, that's when you get at Hawaii, you've got San Diego State on the road, you've got Utah State and Nevada coming to town. Those should be your four toughest conference games. Um, so I think you can build back up what the, the meaning is for the season and the fan base to get back into it by that point. But you do yourself a, a huge favor by starting one and one as far as the, f- the fans go, keeping them engaged and, and into conference play. Um, but the team, they go into, I'm not terribly concerned. I think they'll get all the kinks worked out in those four weeks. Really, I mean, what better way if you're 0-2 than to have two buys and two kind of games where you can work out the kinks and all that before you go into conference play and get your confidence back under you. And then a very good chance to go through conference play, potentially win the West Division and get to a Mountain West Championship. I think that's very possible for the Bulldogs. So even if you start 0-2, you can definitely look at a regular season with somewhere between 8 to 10 wins and uh, potentially a conference championship appearance and a bowl game. So there's going to be a whole lot to play for, even if the Bulldogs start 0-2. And as long as they play respectably Saturday, then I don't see Coach Tedford losing the locker room at all. I mean, just about every loss we've seen Tedford take with this team, they've taken an attitude that they either should have played better or they could have won if they did some things right, and they typically come out motivated to fix those things in the next week. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's gonna not gonna be time to to kind of hit that that panic button, but from a fan's perspective, uh, to get in you know just to get those bodies into Bulldog Stadium, they really took a hit uh, against this USC team. Um, had they won against USC, we probably would have had a packed house, right, Jackson? Uh, I mean, now now going into Minnesota, you're probably gonna be somewhere in the low 30s. Um, and if they end up losing that one, then the next game at home, I believe, is again against what Sacramento State yeah. is going to be even lower. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It, the that can hurt the bottom line as far as the the Bulldogs are concerned, right, Jackson? I mean, what yeah. else can you do? I mean, if you beat USC, I think that's the kind of buzz that gets the the casual fan into Bulldog Stadium, possibly sell it out for the Week Two game. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for Fresno State. But I think you know Minnesota is a Power 5 team. The Bulldogs haven't had one of them come to town since 2015. Uh, so this is typically a game that Fresno State fans get up for. I think they saw enough in that USC game. It's not like the Bulldogs got trampled or anything. They were right in it to the very end, and I think that's enough to get people excited about this matchup. Uh, it's a winnable game against Minnesota. It's not like you've got one of the, the Big Ten powerhouses, so to say, coming in here like um, – you know, a few years ago, Nebraska came to town and rolled all over the Bulldogs. This isn't that kind of situation at all. So I think we'll still see low to mid-30s in the crowd, uh, 30,000 somewhere. And it should be a pretty good environment, even if it's not a sellout. Uh, I think we'll see a, a pretty lively red wave for Saturday. Yeah, so it's it, it'll still be a fun atmosphere to watch. Uh, it, you know, like you said, Bulldog fans will get up for this game. Uh, they do like seeing these powerhouse teams come in and... And it tends to be kind of one of the funnest ones to watch. Uh, I still think back to that that game against Cal when uh, Der- uh, David Carr was here. Uh, how how the Bulldogs really got up for that one. So uh, and the fans responded. So it's uh, those types of games that are always big and huge here at Bulldog Stadium. And hopefully the crowd does turn out even after um, being disappointed against USC. But, uh, you know, 
how how do you see this one going, Jackson? How what is your overall feeling that what to expect out of this game? Yeah, I think the intangibles are going to work in Fresno State's favor, and just as you mentioned, it's this type of a game where Fresno State typically puts out a big time atmosphere. They get a lot of fans to come out, and they come out excited to see a, a team like that. Uh, it's a very late kickoff. It's going to be 7.30 p.m., which is going to be 9.30 local time for Minnesota. It's going to be, I assume, quite a bit hotter than whatever it is in Minnesota right now. And these are the it's the same kind of recipe that's given the Bulldogs a lot of these similar wins. Uh, Cincinnati came to town when they were in the Big East. Bulldogs won that one. Rutgers came. Bulldogs won that one. Bulldogs beat uh, Illinois. Kansas State's come here. Um you know, there's just several examples, and it typically works in the Bulldogs' favor as long as it's not, uh, as long as the Bulldogs are fielding a competitive team that season. Uh, the last two that came to town, Nebraska and Utah, did not go well under the end of the DeRuiter era. <laughs> but uh, typically, when you look back at, at recent history, these are the type of games that Fresno State can put on their hat as a, a big win for the program. And I think all those factors are going to play in Fresno State's favor, potentially put them over the top in a game that I think is going to be pretty evenly matched. Um, I think it's going to be fairly low scoring. And I think um, you know both teams are going to kind of pound this one out. It's going to be a grind. It's not going to be have nearly as many fireworks as we saw last week with USC. But if the Bulldogs can come out on top at the end, then I don't think people will complain about it. Yeah, it's definitely going to be it's going to be a great atmosphere, a great uh, kind of a game to have, uh, especially being the opener here at uh, Bulldog Stadium. Uh, typically, uh, their first game at Bulldog Stadium is usually against a Division II team like Sacramento State, uh, but this time you get Minnesota coming in, so you know a big difference. And then the, and then next week they'll have a, a little bit of an easier time with the Division II team. So, uh, but it, it'll it could be a good way to kind of gauge where the Bulldog are at at this point in the season uh which is still kind of early but you know you can see just how they they respond after a tough loss at usc um but before we before we start wrapping up the 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 show i mean there's been some late breaking news uh reported uh, just today of a transfer uh coming to fresno state and that it's at that quarterback position and jackson what more can you tell us about this yeah, you know, we've been reporting on our premium board that uh, basically ever since Jake Hayner announced he was going to transfer from Washington that Fresno State was a possibility. We reported first, at least, that he was very interested in the Bulldogs, and that wasn't much of a secret. A lot of other people reported that, and he, Hayner even went on the radio in Seattle himself and said Fresno State was probably the most likely spot he was going to land. But the question was, was Fresno State going to be willing to take him? They've got Jaden Casey committed coming in, biggest quarterback commit they've had since Derek Carr. And that could, you know, you don't know how exactly that plays out. If you've got a quarterback that is transferring in and could potentially start for the next two seasons. Um, but we did hear some rumblings last week that Hayner was around town and uh, today it was official. He was out at practice this morning, even going up with the uh, scout team offense against the Bulldogs starting defense. So, He's already at Fresno State. He's working with the team. He's practicing. Uh, as of right now, he can't play this season. He can apply for a waiver, potentially, but um, for all foreseeable reasons, it doesn't look like he'll be playing this season, and then he'll have two years of eligibility starting next year. So 
Uh, looks like Jorge Reyna is going to be in that seat for the 2019 season. And then Hayner and Casey and the Bulldogs' other four quarterbacks will go at it uh, next offseason and see who starts for the remainder of the their eligibilities. Now, in your mind, could this be uh, could this jeopardize Casey coming into Fresno State? I mean, the kid has been solidly committed, uh, you know, turning down other offers from the likes of Alabama mm-hmm. and other teams. Is this something that kind of could leave a bad taste in this in his mouth moving forward? Yeah, you hope not. I think my belief is that they would have smoothed anything over before they brought Hayner in. Uh, that was kind of the rumblings that I got was that they perhaps weren't going to take him at all to make sure that they didn't say anything about potentially taking him until they had those conversations with Casey. So um, I think they've smoothed things over. Um, I also have talked to Casey multiple times, and he's told me that he doesn't mind if he has to redshirt or you know he wants to come in right away and start. But if he doesn't, he's not going to leave at the first chance. That's the, the message he's given to me. Um, but it was looking a whole lot more favorably up until today that he could come in next season and start right away. Um, the Bulldogs don't have a, a guy with any experience behind Jorge Arena, and uh, Hayner now becomes that guy that would probably be the front runner to start, but Casey will come in in the spring and give him a, a good battle, I'm sure. We'll see which one of those two guys or potentially even one of the returners that win the starting spot next year. But I think the Bulldogs are in good shape with Casey. You just don't want to give the wrong impression because we've got a story up on Casey just from last week, I believe. And, uh, you know, a lot of teams tell you you have an offer and then they give you what's called an official offer when they're actually allowed to do that. And most of the schools that offered Casey didn't bother because they figure he's coming here to Fresno State. The only two schools that gave him his official offers were Fresno State and Alabama. And so you're talking about a kid that's directly choosing Fresno State over Alabama. You want to make sure that you're sending the right message and not ticking him off or anything like that. And I, I think the Bulldogs are in good shape. Yeah, that's a, that was one that I was kind of concerned about once once the news broke that Hayner was even considering coming here. But it, that makes absolute no major sense that the Bulldogs wouldn't do anything without talking to Casey. Um, and if it's if it if that's the case, it sounds like Casey's not afraid of a little bit of a competition and maybe even redshirting one to two years before he actually takes that starting role. Uh, similar to what Derek Carr did, uh, he sat out for. Uh, I believe it was two years before actually taking the reins um, for the Bulldogs. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, He has seen that the Bulldogs have had success with that and getting a player into into the NFL. And so he probably is not worried about it, right, Jackson? I mean, why not? Yeah. um, With Derek, he competed for the job his very first season and got some uh, backup time, but then redshirted the second season. It's a little more manageable now with this new four-game rule where, I mean, theoretically, you could have Hayner starting and Casey as the backup while redshirting, and even if Hayner gets hurt the last three games, Casey can start and still get that redshirt. So uh, a lot more manageable situation with that new rule. Um, We've even seen at Hawaii, uh, Cole McDonald's one of the top quarterbacks in the nation, but their freshman last year, Siobhan Cordero, led two victories and still redshirted. (laughs) And he came in in the fourth quarter in week zero and won that game for him against Arizona. So there's a lot of ways that you can tinker with this and keep your players happy without having to totally sit them out a whole year like you used to. 
And if it does work out that way where Hayner starts two years, Casey starts three years, I mean, that's a five-year stretch. I don't know if Fresno State's ever had what could be a better lineup for five years at the quarterback position. So, I mean, the Bulldogs could be loaded at the quarterback position for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that, and that's a good thing. Uh, we haven't seen that in quite some time. Um, you know, McMarion had to come in last year and kind of basically rescue this Bulldog uh, offense um, with some experience and, 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 and pure talent. Um, and then Reyna was able to kind of pick up a lot of what uh, McMarion was doing, uh, yet he still is unproven at this level. I mean, he did play at the the junior college level, but let's face it, junior college level and Division One football, two different monsters. <laughs> and so now Reyna is uh, starting to learn those growing pains of coming in uh, for the Bulldogs this season. It looked it looked pretty good. It looked a little shaky at times. Uh, maybe took a chance on that last play of the game. Uh, maybe one that, you know, everyone, from their perspective, they probably thought that it was a done deal. But, you know, from our perspective, we could see it coming. We thought maybe it was he took a chance there that shouldn't have been taken at the end of the, the USC game. But now we've got uh, now we've got some talent that, you know, could be developing here at Bulldog Stadium. How is uh, the other quarterbacks going to take this? I, I mean, how do you think things are going to shake out there now that you've got potentially a couple of guys coming in and they may never see the <laughs> never see the field? Yeah, I mean, you, right now you've got Ben Wooldridge as a redshirt freshman who's your backup quarterback. And if anything were to happen to Reyna, he appears to be the guy that would go in. And that's another interesting dynamic. If something happens to Reyna and Wooldridge leads this team to some victories, that changes the quarterback battle immensely for the following season. Uh, you also have Stephen Comstock, who is um, a, more of a mobile running quarterback, and he brings kind of something else to the table. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bulldogs utilize him at some point this year when the rest of the offense has settled down a little bit and they can get a little more creative. Um, he can certainly run the ball from the quarterback position. And then you have two preferred walk-on recruits, Nate Lamb and uh, Blaze McKibben. Uh, this is a situation now where one of the scholarships they were hoping to earn has been taken by an incoming quarterback. We typically don't see um, two preferred walk-on quarterbacks in the same class stay for an uh, extended period of time. So um, you know, not writing either of those guys off. It's just you come into a program in that situation looking to earn a scholarship, and if it becomes clear that um, that's going to be a challenge, oftentimes those guys look elsewhere. So... We'll see how those two guys develop over the next couple of years and see how that if maybe one of one or both possibly earn a scholarship. But, um, you know, it's I don't want to write any of those four guys off by any means, but you definitely slide in Hayner and Casey as the front runners for the next five years. And that makes things difficult for all four of those guys. So, I mean, in all likelihood, one or two of these uh, quarterbacks will more than likely uh, be elsewhere by the next season. I I don't know if uh, some of, I don't know if all of these guys are just gonna sit around and 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 hope for something to happen, especially with another another incoming quarterback coming in that potentially could be battling for that starting position and could just make things even more difficult for them to see any playing time. You know, they may stick around to see what Casey does, but if Casey comes out and starts firing and they notice that he is going to be challenging sooner rather than later for a starting spot 
then that pretty much puts a nail in the coffin for some of these other quarterbacks, right, Jackson? Yeah, and well, we've seen a lot of people being critical of some quarterbacks for leaving their programs. You know, we even you know, via social media, people that are taking some shots at Hayner for you know he lost the Washington quarterback battle and now he's coming here. Very similar situation to what some of these other Bulldog quarterbacks could be in in the coming years and. That's just kind of the nature of the quarterback position in college football. You only get one on the field, and you typically don't substitute that guy out. And if you're not that guy, you try to find somewhere else where you can. Um, unless you, you know, you're know you maybe next in line down the road. Other than that, you're in a really tough position to ever do what you went there to do. Um, but the transfer portal has publicized these kinds of things. But when you look at Fresno State, even as an example, I went back to try to find the last senior quarterback who wasn't a starter in this program, and it took me back to 2006 when Jordan Christensen was here. Uh, he backed up Paul Pinniger, and then I guess there was a chance he could have started in 06, but uh, Tom Brandstater ended up being that guy, Sean Norton. Uh, if you're a Fresno State fan for that long, you know the whole story. But, um, yeah, so since Christensen, I don't think the Bulldogs have had a senior quarterback that stayed – and graduated at Fresno State and didn't start. Every single one of them who got passed over went elsewhere or stopped playing football or found a new home. So um, it's nothing new. It's just a little more in the spotlight right now. Yeah, that's going to be uh, back to Christensen. Wow, that, that's, that, that's a big throwback right there already. Uh, it's just it's, – I didn't realize that that was the numbers, uh, you know, how far back it goes to having a senior quarterback – who never made a start graduate from Fresno State? That just tells you how how fluid this quarterback position is. If you don't, if you seem like you're not going to get a starting role anytime soon, uh, you go elsewhere where you your opportunities to start increases significantly. And if it means going to a Division two team, then that's where they go. You know, some people may think that that's a, a kind of a, a demotion for for the quarterbacks to go down to a Division two, but sometimes it's the best place where they can compete right away, and they don't have to redshirt uh, in order to do so and and play right away. So it is uh, one of the options that may end up happening for for a couple of the Bulldog current Bulldog quarterbacks, um, but. Only one can tell, um, you know, once we start getting into later on in the season and and probably beginning of next season to see what happens with the rest of these quarterbacks. With that being said, Jackson, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Any other thoughts or news that you want to break right now? Uh, yeah, just now that we're in September, recruiting action picks up, and I'm expecting to see a pretty big crop of recruits at Bulldog Stadium on Saturday. So, Definitely, if uh, you're not on the premium board, you want to get in there and make sure you get the scoop on all the recruits that are in town. We'll be interviewing them. Uh, a bunch of the commits, I believe, will be there and a bunch of prospective recruits as well. So it'll be uh, starting to ramp up on the recruiting end to match what all the coverage we've been bringing on the football side of things as well, just with the, the team. So get over there to barkboard.com, read all the stories, and check in on our premium subscriptions. We've got a... Uh, Two ways to get in, first month for a dollar or your first year for 30% off. It comes with a seven-day free trial on top of that and make sure you want to commit. So uh, a lot of easy ways to get in there, and we're covering it from all angles. We had four reporters down at the Coliseum last weekend, and uh, just stories coming all over the place. So uh, really a good time to be a Barkboard subscriber. 
Yeah, so we're, we're trying to get it from as many angles as we can, and we're uh, we'll get all that uh, li- the latest news and info out to you as quickly as possible. Um, you know, if you're looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at Jackson Moore two four seven. You can find me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. Uh, if you haven't done so already, head over to the Facebook page and give it a like. And, you know, as always, check our premium boards out if you are a member for all the latest news and coverage of Fresno State Athletics. Um, And as we continue to move forward, uh, we'll continue to start breaking more and more news um, throughout the year as we get it. And, you know, it's it's the place to be in order to find out uh, a lot of this information before anyone else. So if you have a chance become a premium subscriber you won't be disappointed that being said i want to thank everyone for joining us and join us again back next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of fresno state athletics